Yeah, so if I'm undercooked, it's because on Sunday last week, um, a visitor to our church turned around to speak to Marcel and I, and uh, she said, in the context that we were talking about giving to a ministry in India, and she said, we really must be careful not to neglect Australia. She said, because in Australia, we're up against real pressure, there's a lot of non-believers, uh, the atheists uh, who stand and speak out loudly and aggressively about no faith and no God, and that she's really concerned about it. And I explained to her that in our vision at Renew, if you look closely at our logo, you'll see there's a postal code. And the reason for that is our vision is to have lots of communities of Renew, where we, through the teaching of the Word, through the magnifying of the name of Jesus, that we will empower you and help you to be able to go into the communities where you touch other people's lives and bring light. And in that context, she was saying about how the council is so anti-churches at Jundalup. Well, if she was working in a council, she would be able to bring a light, she would bring life, she would bring love, she would bring something that's completely different to what they're accustomed to. And that in itself will help us change Perth, Western Australia, Australia and the world. So that's our, our purpose and our vision is to grow the kingdom. So in the context of that, and in the context of Andrew taking us down this theme of being under the Word and unpacking the Word and, and growing and nurturing in the Word of God, I thought, well, what if, what if you asked me, what should I tell an atheist? How can I start that conversation? How can I lead a conversation where I could speak to them on the subject? And so I was reflecting on that, and I came to John 3.16, which is maybe the best-known scripture ever and those two verses 16 and 17 is quoted so often and so regularly and that I'm sure you know it and so if you in reflecting on how am I going to speak to this atheist at work if you were reflecting on that you thought well how about John 3:16? then we could read it first just from the NIV or whichever Bible you'd like to read from and it's up there on the screen for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So we've been talking about different Bibles and so forth. So this is the open Bible. It's a New American Standard, so it's a direct translation. And there are little footnotes. So if you go to John 3.16, there's quite a big footnote and a lot of information. And you can then go and research it backwards and forwards and, and get to understand what it is. Alternatively, you can go for a more comfortable translation. This is the message by Eugene Peterson. And I'll read you that same passage and hear how it's different. 
uh, if I find it. <laughs> this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by, be by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. So by reading two different translations, we have further insight into that scripture. But I want to tell you that that's not enough. So you need to first put it into the context of the scripture. So what is the context? Well, this very clever, learned man, Nicodemus, came up to Jesus. And he came up at night, so that makes me think he wasn't too proud of this moment. He didn't want everybody to know. But he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, surely the signs that you do, you must be anointed by God. And you know what Jesus does? What he does so well and so often, he doesn't answer the question that you ask. He instead says, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, who's a learned man, says, well, how can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? And he goes on to tell him how this birth is a spiritual birth. It's a, a, a renewing birth. And so that's the background of where this piece fits into. But then we need to go to the Old Testament to find out what its relevance is. And so we'll go to Numbers 21 and 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and then when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked up at the bronze snake and they lived. Cool, eh? It's like free medical service, you know? They lived. Why? Because they looked up at a pole with a snake on it. And so in that context, we go to John 3, 14 and 15. And we read, just as Moses, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Easy. Quick fix. Look at the snake, no more snake bite. Look at Jesus and believe in him, no more death. It's easy. Yeah? Any dissension? Any atheists? <laughs> okay. So let's unpack this. And John 3.16 starts with, for God. Okay. So if we start breaking up this John 3.16, we know that it's a biblical reality that everything starts with God. And so this biblical reality starts with God. For God so loved the world. But it starts with God because God discloses, God reveals, and 
We receive and we perceive from God. So if everything doesn't start from God, then we're on the wrong track. The atheist, for example, declares that there is no God. In fact, he says that the very idea of a divine creator is a dangerous delusion equivalent to mass mental illness. Quote, unquote. <laughs> we are en masse mentally ill because we believe in God. But <clears throat> you shouldn't be intimidated by aggressive statements like these that the atheists made because their case is very shallow. The, the ice that they're on is very thin because if you don't really have a good case, because what, what they're saying is, is they're not accepting the truth, but yet Jesus is the truth and the life. So if they're not accepting Jesus, how can they even say that what they're saying is true? Jesus is the source of truth. But we'll move on. So for God so loved that he got, at the risk of uh, repeating the obvious here, love is manifested through giving. Love manifests itself through giving. When you love someone, what do you do? You just sit there and say, coffee please? <laughs> well, most probably you do, but that's not really the way to show love. You, you, you see, because to love God is to give to God. We were singing earlier about giving him our time and our energy, our life energy. I remember one guy saying to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dedicate this night's sleep to God. Well, that's not life energy. That's you going to sleep, so I'm dedicating the next eight hours to you. Please make sure I sleep well and I dream well. What we're talking about is giving of your precious time to God, your resources to God, your obedience. You know, surrendering is not an easy thing. And you need to be careful when you sing that, because when you sing, I surrender, God is taking you serious. And so for the atheists, it's easy. Oh, I don't have to surrender to anybody because there is nobody to surrender to. But for us, it's a very different thing. Because we surrender. We surrender our will and take on His will. We surrender our plans and take on His plans. It's very different. And to love God is to love others. So what is the commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. And isn't it true that you can't really murder someone you love? You can't really steal from them. In fact, someone said to me, but you can Love the person you're having an affair with. Well, you can't because you've got to take into account all the other lives that you're wrecking. So you can't. There is not one single commandment in the law that is not covered by these two commandments. And so again, putting that into context, we, we need to read 1 John 4.20 where it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if you 
you, you, you cannot not love each other. You can choose to not like me, <laughs> but you have to love me. That's what God asks. And it's not easy, because how many churches have rifts because people have taken offense and chosen not to love one another? Right, so we go to the world, going back to uh, 3.16, and the world is translated the cosmos, it's everything, it's um, everything that's been created, but in this context it's specifically humans, and in this context it's also, the word is used to describe the fallen world system, because it was into this fallen world system, this, this land of Chosen people who could not live according to the law. It was in this mess that the Father sent His Son to be the final sacrifice. So the state of creation makes God love that much more exceptional. In Romans 5.8 we read, God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a very important scripture that, that whilst we were still sinners, he didn't say, guys, here are a few things, you need to get this sorted and then I'll accept you. While we were yet sinners. And he didn't care and he still does not care what the sin is. What then does he say, does this say about God's love for you, for your spouse, for your children? He loves them. He loves them. So even if your husband does not serve, or your wife does not serve God, or your children are not serving God, it hasn't stopped God's love for them. We move on. He's one and only Son. Now this is quite a, an interesting thing. If you break down uh, the Greek... It translates to monogeny, which is one and only, but also means unique. So this is the one and only unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. This is not, Jesus was not God just simply masquerading or appearing as a man. He was, wasn't a divinely anointed man like John the Baptist was before him. Jesus was and is God the Son, the eternal Word, the second personage of the Godhead, who incarnated as a unique, one-of-a-kind God-man, Jesus Christ the Lord. And if you think that he sat not long before at the right hand of God, creating heaven and earth, creating everything we know on this planet, and yet he gave that up and came and became a baby that had to be cared for, that couldn't do anything. I, we've just been reminded of what and how much babies depend on us. Uh, we have a grandson who spends Thursdays and Fridays with us, and, and I, I've got to tell you something. So on Thursday night, I was going to do a mince dish. <laughs> And I put it in the pan and set it on low and just wanted it to simmer a bit. And I sat down. 
And I was so knackered from that grandchild <laughs> that Marcel shook my arm and she said, is that mince burning? <laughs> and it was a totally wrecked meal. <laughs> it looked fine on top, but underneath it was solid. <laughs> so, so Jesus allowed himself to fully become that dependent on a human mother that he'd created in the first place. Amazing. And, and, and then he had to go and learn to be a trade. But he never stopped being God. And never once did he take that authority that he had and use it for his own gain. Never once. You can read all through the Gospels that Jesus' sole purpose was to serve the sinners of this world. To serve us. So how do you tell that to an atheist? Well, here's a little video that uh, might just help you next time you speak to an atheist. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the lostest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. So obviously you can all memorize that for next time you need him to speak to an atheist. But this is why we talk about testimonies. And Pete shared his last week and I asked him, are you you're okay this Sunday? He says, yeah, I'm recovered. But that testimony is what this man is talking about. Because if you know the things that God has done in your life that you can talk, you can speak to an atheist and say, but... I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to tell you what he's done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. These are the prayers he's answered for me. This is the cancer he's removed from me. What is the extent of God's love? Total. Complete. There's no more. That is the benchmark for love. So without trivializing what I'm trying to say, let me use this illustration. There's a chicken and a pig in a farmyard, and they heard that the church wants to raise money and have a big uh, community feast. And so the chicken says, I've got a great idea. Why don't we do bacon and eggs for the feast? <laughs> so the, the pig thinks about it for a while and he says, actually, I've got a little problem with that. You see, because all you have to do is contribute, but I have to make a total commitment. And that's really what Jesus did. So moving on to whoever believes in him, whoever is non-discriminatory, it is non-exclusive. It's all inclusive. Whether you're a robber, a sinner, uh, a, um, a suicide bomber, it doesn't matter what you are. It is all inclusive. Jesus says, Whom, whoever. Uh, it is not, you know, the Calvinists believe in the elect, that, um, that we've been elected long before uh, to serve God. But then I read in 1 Timothy, and I'm just giving you these arguments because these are some of the things atheists will bring. And in 1 Timothy 2.4 it reads, God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He wants everyone to be saved. And you know what the Greek translation for everyone means? Everyone like in everyone. To believe is to have faith in and to entrust your life in. And so when Jesus is lifted up that all who believes in him, 
That believing in him is to take your faith out of your ability to fix your life and sort your problems, and you put all of that faith in him alone. Salvation is non-exclusive, but it is conditional. You do have to believe. That's the only condition. Not sent to, back to John 3.16, Jesus wasn't sent to judge, yet there was so much to judge. He could have judged the Pharisees, he could have judged almost every Jew. Not one Jew lived according to the law, except him, Jesus. He wasn't sent to condemn, which he could have done, or to punish, which he could have, but he was sent to save. But why do we need to save, the atheist would ask you. Why do we need to be saved? Saved from what? And in verse 18 we read, because the whole of human race are sinners. We are all, we all stand condemned already, right now, unless we believe. You see, an atheist's core belief is that there is no God. And then they'll argue that because there is no God, there is no sin. And therefore, there's no need for salvation. Therefore, the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus, was just an unfortunate mistake. That is, if Jesus even existed at all. But how, a lot of people would say, I don't want to believe that the Holocaust actually happened, but it did. And so whether you don't want to believe that Jesus actually walked this earth, he did. And if you go and read Paul in his letter to Corinthians, for example, he starts explaining how, how many people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Peter was first, he says, and he takes it all the through to 500 gathered in one place, 500 witnesses that were there, all the way through to where Paul himself met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So then, based on what we've just unpacked, and based on the fact that you might not be able to memorize that video, what would you say to an atheist? I think I would start with, there is a God who believes in you even though you reject him. There is a God whose existence you will not acknowledge, but he has chosen to love you. Even though you don't believe in him, he loves you. And this God, whom you deny, he came into this world as a unique God-man so that you could have the opportunity of living in an eternal relationship with your Creator. And then I would tell them about Jesus. I would tell them, I tell them the things that Jesus has impacted in my life, the things He's done that has really meant so much to me. And I'll just trust the Holy Spirit to take those words and make it alive in His own heart or her own heart. I would respectfully ask them to read the Gospels. Why don't you just try Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why don't you just try any one of these? If you want to pick any one, start with John. Why don't you just take one of those and read it for yourself? 
and see if you can see the one who came into this world for you. I would pray for them. Most probably not out loud right there, but I would pray for them. And so, what I, what I really wanted you to take out is that, firstly, this word is given for all requirements, for everything you need in life. This word has the answer for you. So if you're going to meet an atheist and you need to give them an answer, it's in here. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the empowerer. He's the one that wants to drop something in your heart, like he did with me, and said, this is what we need to focus on this morning. And so I had to take my whole other message, which I'd been working on for two weeks and I was really comfortable with, and park that and start on this on Monday. And that God wants us to reflect on the things that we learn and the things that are taught and the things when we read a scripture. We need to reflect on it and understand it. And if we don't, we need to go and research it so we can find it. And if you really want to have fun, have a look at the footnote in your scripture when you read your Bible. And if you're doing it on your phone or an iPad, you can just touch on that and it'll take you to that footnote. You don't even have to go and page and look it up. And that footnote will put that little piece of scripture into the context where it belongs. And often that piece of scripture will be in five or six, seven different other references that help you get a better understanding of what that means. And, and the beauty of doing this exercise for yourself is that when you challenge, the Holy Spirit promises to bring those words back into your memory so that you can answer questions. So it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you have surrendered and how much you rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you through that moment in time. You see, we were talking about it earlier with Barry. The reason that God puts us into a community like this is he shares all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And if we don't each do our own part, we're not fulfilling his perfect plan right here. And, and, and that's the beauty of it. You might have a word of insight. You might have a scripture to quote. Whatever it is, or like we had this morning when Lindsay really shared what was on her heart that the Holy Spirit put there for us to hear. And it solidified in Andrew's heart that he wanted to remind you that you need to surrender and need to rely on God to take you from those dark places that you might find yourself in. And so, John 3.16 is an amazing scripture that you've mostly heard oftentimes, but have you put it into the context of New and Old Testament, in the context of Nicodemus and what he was trying to achieve or trying to learn from Jesus? And some of your Bibles will have Jesus' words in red, which is really helpful so that you immediately know the context of who's speaking this. And if your Bible doesn't, I suggest you get it because it makes a huge difference. Get a Bible where it's in red or an app where Jesus' words are in red. And so bring on the atheists, bring on the... The guys who come knocking on your door with a, 
a little name tag in a, a white shirt. Um, I love inviting them in and having a chat. Um, I've, I've said to the poor Jehovah's Witnesses, what you're going to do when, because heaven must be full by now, there's 144,000, so you're doomed. So why are you walking around like this? Anyway, um, sometimes they leave and sometimes they chat. Um, but the beauty of it is that God sent his son to die for them and for us, for everyone. And isn't that an amazing message? Can you really hold back on telling that to everyone you meet who does not have this knowledge, who does not know like you know that Jesus died for you and you have everlasting life? It must be difficult to keep it quiet, surely. So I think that's us for today. I think there are some people here today, and you know who you are because that word that Lindsay and Andrew had was for you. If you need prayer, please come and talk to us after the service. We'd love to pray with you. We don't want you to go home and walk this journey alone. We're doing life together at Renew, and we're your family. And so, folk, um, take time to get to know this word. It really is the bread of life. It's going to give you all you need to work through life with. All your resources are all in one, one spot. So we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for this incredible gift, the Word. We thank you for Jesus, who's the truth and the life. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son just for us. Just for us. As sinful as we are, you sent your Son so that we may know you and know everlasting life. So, Father, we again today submit to your purpose, your plan, and we ask, Lord, that you would guide us into the place you want us to be, individually and collectively, as an expression of your body, Yarrett Renew. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.